Welcome to this week's podcast. My guest on Facing the Canon is Dr. Krish Kandaya, Director of Home for Good. Krish Kandia, welcome to Facing the Canon. Thank you, John. Lovely to see you. Now, what is Krish short for? Krish is short for Krishna. I grew up in a mixed race family. My mum was from India. My dad was from Malaysia. His dad was from Sri Lanka. And my mum's dad was from Ireland. So complete mix of different races and places. But Krish is short for Krishna. And where did you grow up? I grew up in Brighton on the south coast. Yes. Going to a very dodgy, comprehensive school, but I made mates for life there. And tell us about your own personal journey of faith. Well, when I was 15, a lad stood up in our chemistry lab, which was where we used to have our uh, register at the beginning of the day. And the teacher had nipped out for a quick smoke, leaving 30 teenage boys yes. in charge of a chemistry lab, which is a terrible idea. People were trying to suck the gas out of the gas taps and light it and do fire breathing. And then this lad stood up and said, look, last night something amazing happened to me. I became a friend of God. And if you want to know anything about it, come and talk to me. And so I thought that was the bravest thing I'd ever seen anyone do. And, and that obviously transformed you. It did. Yeah, totally. I started a journey. I became like more than just a church guy. I became a follower of Jesus. Uh, we stayed in touch. I actually helped his wife become a Christian um, at sixth form. And then he's now a pastor up in Hull doing great stuff. And I do what I can with vulnerable children. That is amazing. Now, obviously, you've done a variety of different things, uh, but the main focus of what you do now, um, Home for Good, just explain to us the journey that led you into that. Sure. Well, it's an occupational hazard to every Christian. God started to speak to me through the Bible. And I don't know how I'd missed it for so long, but almost on every other page of the Bible, it's re-emphasising God's concern for vulnerable people and particularly yes. vulnerable children. Yes. The widow, the stranger and the orphan. Over and over again, God tells us he really cares about these groups of people. And so we started the journey to become foster parents and then adoptive parents. And it was through that experience we realised there were thousands of children in the UK that need loving families. When we, we first got started with Home for Good, we found out there were 5,000 children waiting for adoption. And there was around 9,000 shortage of foster carers. Yes. And those are big numbers. But then I did the maths and I found out there's at least 15,000 churches out there that love Jesus, that are passionate about the gospel, that are filled with the spirit, care about justice. So that means we just need one new family per church to become a foster carer or an adoptive family and for the church to wrap around them and we could meet the entire current need. Amazing. That was the kind of vision that started us off and that was six years ago now. That, okay, so let's go back to when you and your wife, uh, okay, started the process of fostering. Yes. Is that quite a difficult process? Because I've heard from some friends of ours. Yes. It's difficult. It's not easy. Sure, sure. Well, our, our initial phone call was difficult, actually. It taken me about a year to get ready to make the call. And it was back in the day when, well, apparently young people don't understand what this is, but you used to have to dial a number. Oh, you sure, that? absolutely. So I'm dialing the number yes. for our local authority. And um, I said, oh, hello, it's uh, Mr. Kandaya here. We're, we're delighted to tell you we're interested in fostering or adoption. We haven't decided which, but here we are. We'll be useful to you. And I, I expected there to be a little fanfare at the end. You know, maybe they had a little tape recording for such a moment as this. Da, da, da. But no, it was like a really gruff voice at the other end going, how many rooms in your house? I'm going, oh, 
well, we've got a lounge and a, a kitchen and a bar. No, no, no. How many bedrooms have you got in your house? Well, we've got three bedrooms. Okay. Well, how many children do you have? We have three children. Oh, you're no good to us. I'm going, what? Like, you don't know anything about my parenting skills. You don't know no. why I'm doing this. That's not what I wanted to hear. So put the phone down, dialed again, tried to get a different operator. This time... The problem was um, we didn't have the rooms in the house question. We had, what's your ethnicity? And I go, oh, I'm going to win this, right? Yes. So I'm, my dad's from Malaysia. His dad's from Sri Lanka. My mum's from India. Her dad's from uh, Ireland. My wife's Welsh. Um, have you got any boxes left? And she said, oh, you're no good to us. We'll never find a match for you. We, but, but the reality is, though, Chris, you're British, yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> so, but they really—they wanted your origin. They did, and I understand now why. Okay, because a child's ethnic origin does matter. It, it helps if a child looks like okay. the parents that are bringing them up. It helps them for their right. identity. And we couldn't get into fostering or adoption because we didn't have enough bedrooms in our house. That was a deal breaker, and I understand why now. But I didn't at the time. And then we moved. I got a job teaching theology at Oxford University, one of their theological colleges. And uh, the house, sorry, the job came with a house. Yes. And the house came with a dining room. And who needs a dining room? No, you can eat in the kitchen. In the kitchen. Right. Absolutely. So we turned the dining room into a bedroom and yeah. suddenly we were ready to make the call. And we had four bedrooms and three children and we were in. How did your other children react? That's a good question. So we... We, um, we were approved to be foster carers and they said, oh, you know, we'll phone you when there's a child in need. And I got excited about that. So I, I basically spent a lot of time looking at the phone, willing it to ring. Um, I always thought they should give foster parents like a bat phone. You know, when Commissioner yes, Gordon I'm, phones, yes, it goes bright red absolutely. because he's being called to action. So yes. that's what it feels like. You're like a fourth emergency service, right? If children are in need, they call the foster carers. And so I think it was less than 24 hours in, we get our first call. And they said, it's a baby, uh, just been born. Mum's got some difficult stuff going on in her life. She can't look after her and so could you pick up this baby and so we, we picked up a, a Moses basket oh. and we stuck it in the back of the car and I'm going Moses oh oh first foster child in the Bible this is this is the, my faith and my life coming Absolutely. together and then our neighbor comes out of our house she says look I, I know you've been in this process for a long time and, and I wanted to support you so I've made you a little blanket um, you know, just just handmade it. And I didn't know if it would be a boy or a girl. So I, I gave it an underwater theme because sure. that would work for anybody. And but I just wanted this baby or this child to have something that no one else on the planet could have. And so we put that blanket in the Moses basket and then we head to the hospital. And, and when we brought this little one home, our children fell in love with her. Oh, how it, old were your children at the time? So they must have been like four, five and six. Yeah. And had you explained to them yeah, that you're going yeah, to have yeah. some yeah. other children come and live with you for That's a right. while? Yes. Okay. They'd been prepped and they're part of the welcome team. You know, they're yeah. part of the team surrounding this child. And to be honest with you, John, that, yes. that baby's still with us. You so adopted? We adopted her. Yeah, when she was two, she had all sorts of difficulties in her life with her birth mum. And, and we were asked, you know, it's, this child has been toing and froing, bouncing around the system a little bit. Could you adopt her? And we thought, well, of course. Wouldn't it be great if the we could be the... social services asked they you. They did. Yeah, yeah. And so she's, she's and, thriving and, the, and doing And the well. biological mother was happy for that. Well, that's a good question. We have met um, birth mum and birth mum's got a lot of challenges in her life. And so she doesn't get that choice. Yeah. The government and the you know the judges make yes. that choice. Our job 
is not to decide who comes or doesn't come into care. Our job is to make sure every child in care gets a loving yes. family. So give us the facts. Sure. In the UK, what is the situation regarding children? So sadly, there are, well, nearly 80,000 children in England alone that are in the care system. 70% of them have experienced neglect or abuse, you know, physical or sexual violence against them. Um, so they've been really badly treated and they're traumatised. And most of those children will be in a foster care placement, at least for some time, until the authorities decide what to do. And, and for those, Chris, that are not in a foster care situation, where are they? The other options are, um, I suppose, residential care homes. Yes. And um, we normally use that in the UK if a family-based placement hasn't worked out. So maybe a child had multiple foster carers and that hasn't worked out. So they'll sometimes use a, a children's home. We're trying to reduce that in the UK because we recognise that family is the best place for children to, to thrive. There are another group of young people who sadly are often put in what's called inappropriate accommodation. Yes. So those are teenagers, um, often kind of aged between 16 and 18. And it's been in our news. Sometimes yes. out of desperation, local authorities have used um, caravan parks, canal barges, Airbnbs, and they're living on their own and they're visited by social workers. We think that's totally out of order and these yes. kids need loving families. So that's where most of those kids are. Of those kids in care, I think in the UK right now, it's around 3,000 children that are waiting. And a lot of those kids that are waiting for adoption are older. They're not tiny babies. Yes. Um, they often come from black and minority ethnic backgrounds. They're in sibling groups. The worst thing would be if the younger sibling gets adopted because people want a younger child and the yes. older one gets separated and left in care. And a lot of those children have additional needs. So our job at Home for Good is to say, come on, church. God cares about the widow and the orphan. Why don't we step up and be the parents that these children need us to be? Not driven out of a sense of self-interest. You know, I really want a child. I want a child to look like this and have blonde hair and blue eyes and be under two. But out of a sense of passing on the grace of God to children. Absolutely. And so that's what we've been seeing over the years that Home for Good's been running. We've met hundreds of Christians that have stepped forward to foster. Uh, many have stepped forward to adopt, um, often willing to take children that are left behind in the system and that it seems nobody wants, but Christians have stepped up and demonstrated the love of God to these kids. So, so you and your wife, um, you had your own children. Yes. You started fostering adopted you're still fostering so you're a practitioner <laughs> that's right and 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 obviously um you taught theology and you've done various other roles over the years but then there was this calling to focus uh on this um and home for good was was birthed that's right um so obviously that's a massive thing <laughs> so it starts with your your family um, in one home and then you realise, hey, there's all these children that need homes. So when did you start Home for Good? So Home for Good was started as a charity six years ago. Yeah. And there was me, uh, a mate called Phil, and I think we had a part-time uh, admin assistant. And now there's about 38 staff, um, some in Scotland, some in Northern Ireland, but most of them are in England. And they're doing 
a range of amazing things. So we do work with unaccompanied asylum-seeking children, children who are separated from their parents and they need somewhere safe to live, having fled war and terror and famine. Uh, we do stuff to kind of get alongside adopted and foster families because you need all the support you can get. Yes. Um, we do work really closely with the government. The government starts phoning us up and saying, look, we love what you're doing. Um, can you help us fix this problem? And so one problem we're trying to fix is why is it that black children wait the longest to be adopted? Yeah. So we get invited to kind of help host roundtables at 10 Downing Street as we bring the church and bring the government together to say we can fix these problems yes. together. So so I remember in, in an earlier conversation that we had some time uh, ago, Chris, you were saying, look, th- this problem can be solved um, because there are enough families that could take a child. There are. Okay, so how do you communicate this message to thousands of families to step up? Brilliant. Well, great news. There is a captive audience of people who are full of the spirit, who often care about justice and the family each Sunday morning or Sunday evening, whether they're gathering in face-to-face or online. And so... We get invited to share the gospel and the gospel that we believe is a gospel of adoption, isn't it? If, if you think about it, every time I say the Lord's Prayer, yeah. our Father, well, wait, wait, Jesus is the only true Son of God, right? That's what we believe in, in the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So how come I get to call God Father? It's because God adopted me yes. and he adopted you. Yeah, absolutely. And he's given us an incredible privilege. We get all the rights that Jesus has. I mean, it's absolutely mind-boggling. I, I managed to speak to a theologian <laughs> called J.I. Packer, who recently oh, passed away. Yes. And uh, I, he said once that um, adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel affords us. Yes. There's nothing like it, that we yes. get to call God Abba Father. Absolutely. So every Sunday around the world, Christians are reaffirming that we're adopted children every time we say the Lord's Prayer. So it's an open door to come into a church and say, hey, you know, God adopted us. Well, there's a way we could demonstrate in front of a watching world what that looks like. Every time a Christian adopts a child, we get to be a lived example of the grace that God has shown us. So it becomes natural, doesn't it? Normal even that Christians might consider this. Now, you mentioned that the government often seek your counsel, wisdom and advice. Um, Are they supportive at what you do uh, or are they suspicious of what you do? Because obviously sure. you're a practicing Christian. Yes, definitely. Does that come into play? Well, what's interesting, and I, I think this is a, an interesting time, that there are certain Christian groups that look at our situation and say, oh, I wish it could be like it was in the past, you know, when, when it was normal for people to be Christians and, and, you know, being a Christian was a thing of honour and, and church leaders got kind of more say in things. I'm going, well, I can't fix that. But I can say there's a moment now when our nation needs us, sadly because of coronavirus, because of the economic crisis that comes with it, because of the crisis in the care system, the government needs all the help it can get. Yes. And so they come to us, not because we're Christians, but because we're effective. Yes. And they go, we see you making a difference. You're, you're, you're making stuff happen. Never mind that you're Christian. Come and help us anyway. And I'll go, I'll take that. I'll come and work with you. Absolutely. Our calling is to care for vulnerable children. And actually, yeah. according to the law, the government has a responsibility to care for vulnerable children. Yes. So where there's overlapping opportunity, let's work together. So they, they see your, your integrity, 
you know, and the values that you have as a Christian um, are, are good. Yes, exactly. You know, and, and home for good is good. Amen. That's what we want. That's what we're aiming for. Tell us, uh, Chris, tell us a couple of um, stories sure. of children maybe that were in vulnerable situations and yeah. what's happened to them. Oh, OK. So <laughs> there's a lot. Yeah. I think of one lad that turned up at our front door. He was taller than me. And that, that's not hard. I'm, I'm vertically challenged. But he was taller than me, but he was all hunched over. And he had a big pink suitcase, which obviously wasn't his. It was a social worker's suitcase. And he had a horrible scar on his face and on his arm. He'd, he'd just come from A&E. And I thought someone had attacked him with a knife, but it, it was worse than that. One of his parents had used boiling water on him. And so he was traumatised, you know, just come out of A&E. He didn't want to be at our house. He'd never met us before. No. He comes into the house and he's in our lounge. And I'm, I'm normally quite good at speaking to people, but I couldn't yes. get a word out of him. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm trying to talk about football or music or school or anything. I can't get a word out of him. And then my boys came in. They were 12 and 13 at the time. And they used a therapeutic tool that I wasn't aware of. It's called an Xbox. Yeah. And they said, hey, how about a game of FIFA? And uh, this lad was Arsenal. My boys, I don't know what I did wrong. They don't support the best team in the world, Liverpool. They no. support <laughs> Arsenal. <laughs> yes. But they let this boy be Arsenal. And yeah. they were Manchester United. And somehow Arsenal won 5-0. Yeah. But my favourite bit, it was just such a proud dad moment. I listened to the language my boys were using with him. Well done, mate. Good shot. You're really good at this. You've played before. They're just trying to pour grace yes. into his life. And I thought, look, this is it. Isn't they've it? This got is, it. They've got it. They've got it. And, you know, then it was dinner time. And we sat at the dinner table. And that's often when, you know, our foster children meet everybody else in the household. And my wife had cooked, like everything we had in the freezer because it turned come up in an emergency and they don't come with a menu like what the kid no, likes so we course. just cooked everything you just cook it all so um, so we gave him chicken kievs and he goes these are amazing i've never had them before so we had chicken kievs every day for a week <laughs> he loved them but that night we um we realised he didn't have a toothbrush. It wasn't in his big pink suitcase. So he'd go down to Sainsbury's. And I'm, I'm like, you know, the, the, the mother hen going up and down the aisle with this lad and my two boys all following me. And I couldn't find the toothbrushes. Like, where do they keep toothbrushes in Sainsbury's? And he, um, this lad who couldn't talk to me at the beginning, he cracks a joke. Yeah. He says, you've not been here very much, have you, Chris? I bet you don't even know how much a pint of milk costs. And I thought, wow, what a transformation. Yeah. Before he couldn't look me in the eye, now he's now teasing he's... me. And I thought, God, this is it. This is... I'm having a spiritual moment in a Sainsbury's looking for a toothbrush. And for me, that, that privilege of trying to pour grace into a child's life, there's, there's nothing like it. John. So what, what's gone on with him? Where's he got ended up? Do you know? So he lived with us for about a month. Um, it, it was interesting. He came to us with us to some Christian festivals that I was speaking at and we were allowed to take him along and he had a whale of a time. And then he moved on to a long term foster family. We, yeah. we, our situation didn't quite work for him. But we got a letter from his school. They said, we yeah. want you to know this. We did, we did highlights of the year at the end of the school year. And this boy had had a traumatic life, right? He'd yes. come into care, separated from his parents. 
And he wrote in his, at the end of the year, he said the highlight was staying with the Kandayas. And I thought, whoa. Wow. What an honour. What Again, an honour. Just in, however long we get to look after these kids, we want to give them a taste of God's grace. That's our aim. And, and is it hard? I mean, he lived with you for a month. You grew to know him. You grew to love him. Is it hard when they leave? Oh, man, it's like having your heart ripped out. We had a little girl we looked after for four years. And at the end of that, we're saying goodbye, right? And the number of times I've been trying to keep it together until the car pulls away with the new adoptive family or the new foster family, I'm just trying to keep smiling to the kids. Their picture of me is cheering them on at the end. But when they leave, we all break down. So it's hard. And some people say, Chris, I couldn't do it because of that. Yes, and in, in that story there, Chris, did you not have a choice about that little girl? No. No. Often we don't. As foster parents, you don't get the choice of who comes into care or when they leave. No. So will you, like, get a message on a Monday that she's leaving on a Tuesday? Sometimes it can be that short. Normally, I mean, they give you a better time. that's traumatic, though. It is. It is. Even if it's a week, it's still yeah. traumatic yeah. for them and for yourselves. It is. It is. Some people tell me, Chris, I could never do what foster carers do because I would love the children too much to see them go. And I'm going, hang on, we need to redefine love here because you're saying you won't get involved in this child's life because you're scared you're going to get hurt. That, that isn't love. We follow a, a, a crucified saviour who loved us enough to suffer for us so that we could be adopted into God's family. Absolutely. And so our job is we should soak up the pain. We're the, we're the adults in this conversation, aren't we? So we need to do whatever's going to help these children. And for as long as they're with us, they need to feel as loved and supported and as cared for as every other member of your family. And we don't have control about when they leave, but we do have control about how they feel. Yes. And if they feel better having stayed with you, they're going to carry that. That's right. That's yeah. our prayer. And have the children that you have fostered over the years become aware of your own personal faith? Yeah, of course. Um, you know, we're really open about who we are as, as Christians. You know, we, we yes. talk about Jesus at the dinner table. We, you know, we, we, we go to church, we pray. It's a normal part of our life. It's not a segment that we can hide from anyone that lives in our house. But we're really careful that we want to make sure that children feel safe to be who they are. I always think about it the other way around. Imagine that my children were in care and it was a Muslim family looking after them. How would I want my children's Christian faith to be treated? I want them to be free and I want them to be honoured. Yes. So for me as a foster parent, my job is to invite and be open about who I am. And if they want to ask questions, fantastic. If they don't, well, they have the right to their own Absolutely. beliefs. Absolutely. Yeah, I like I like it where we read about um, in the Gospels where when Jesus got lost yes. and uh, obviously he wasn't lost, but they <laughs> thought he was lost. And, and then it says he went back um, with his mother and stepfather uh, and he grew. Yes, yes. In favour with God mm. and in favour with people. And there's something beautiful about that, that he grew um, socially. Yes, uh, yes. He grew physically, That's grew right. emotionally, grew psychologically, and he grew spiritually. Mm. Um, and, you know, it is easier to, to raise healthy children than to mend broken adults. Wow. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Which is what you're doing. What, what Now, I've got your book here, Chris. Oh, there you go. Chris Candier, The Greatest Secret. I, I love that. Well, no, go on. What made you uh, give it that title, The Greatest Secret there? 
Well, it's weird. As we talked about, J.I. Packer said that adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel affords us. Yes. And yet we don't really talk about it very much. We talk about getting rescued or forgiven or redeemed yes. or justified. Very rarely do we talk about being adopted. But being adopted changes everything. It changes how I pray to God, the Lord's Prayer and adoption prayer. It changes how I think about church. Church are my adopted family. I don't just get adopted into God's, you know, the Trinity, Father, Son and the Holy Spirit, that family. I get adopted into a church. So church isn't something I just turn up to once a week. It's a family I belong to. So this book tries to look at the whole Christian life yeah. and what does it mean to think about that in light of our adoption? It changes everything. So if any of our viewers have felt stirred, I mean, I feel stirred, Chris, you know, uh, you know, we are talking um, about a generation of children that need love and care uh, and guidance. Um, but if, if any of our viewers are kind of feeling, wow, I've been thinking about this or I feel stirred to mm. think about this. Um, it would be great to read your book and to read a bit of your own story. But what other advice would you give them? Well, the easiest thing to do is to visit the Home for Good website, homeforgood.org.uk. Loads of incredible stories and videos and blogs from Christians who have adopted or fostered and, and some really practical stuff there to kind of help you. If you're in the UK, you can phone us. Um, there's a lovely Christian person who doesn't say, how many rooms in your house? <laughs> what ethnicity are you? But they'll help you and guide you through the journey. And this is a UK problem, but actually it's a global problem too. It's global. In America, there are 125,000 children waiting for adoption right now in the foster care system. And a lot of people think, oh, I've got to raise loads of money. It's expensive to adopt. No, it's completely free to adopt a child out of the foster care system in America. So we'd love to help you with that. We don't work in America, but again, you can contact us through our website to ask more questions about the process. And okay, uh, someone's interested, they feel stirred, uh, they make the, the phone call. Obviously, as we've heard with your own story, sure. you know, th th there is a system, uh, there is a process. But how long would it take mm. if, say, you know, um, green, it was green light all the yeah, way through. Yeah, yeah. How long would it take from today? What we're finding, actually, is it really varies. So our journey took us about nine months from when we made the call uh, in Oxfordshire uh, to start the process. And we had the right number of rooms nine months um, to be approved and then very quickly we were looking after a little girl um, in lockdown in some areas it's actually happened quicker yes. uh, they've worked ways around some of the bureaucracy yes. they're still as rigorous but they've been doing it in weeks rather than months so some of it depends on the urgency of the need and some of it depends on the i suppose the bureaucratic process behind but either way we're really keen that that process is thorough and rigorous yeah I know uh, my son and my daughter-in-law, um, they got approved. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Fostering and uh, they've had a, a number of people oh, come and, and children. And it's, it's been great. So we got an inside view yeah, from that. Yeah, you're a foster grandparent. You know, it felt, <laughs> you know, it was really exciting, actually. Um, so j just to reiterate, Krish, um, for those in the UK, if they want to know any more, they can contact your website. It's yes. on the screen now. Great. Follow through. If the viewer is watching from another country and another continent, yes. what advice would you give them? Well, there isn't quite 
anyone quite like Home for Good in America. There's lots of smaller organisations. Um, there is a group called Christian Alliance for Orphans, which is like an umbrella organisation that might be helpful. But hey, you know, with the wonders of modern technology, we, we still might be able to help. So look us up on social media, reach out to us if we can help. We'd love to be in touch. Brilliant. Krish Kandia, you are truly, you and your wife and your family are an inspiration. Keep on keeping on. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate Thank your you. help. Well, wasn't that uh, inspiring and actually hugely heartwarming? And if you've been stirred today, um, then make a call, uh, visit the website Home for Good, uh, talk to somebody, get some more information and ask the Lord to guide you. Thank you so much for joining us today on Facing the Canon. Please join us again. You've been listening to the J. John Podcast. To find out more about J. John's ministry, visit www.canonjjohn.com and follow him on social media.